Now, Asia First on CNA 938. I have uh, a very special guest with me in the studio, but let me introduce my uh, temporary co-host, John Leong from CNA TV. My colleague joins us in the CNA 938 studios. Good morning, John. Hi, good, glad to be here. Yeah, uh, we've had quite a lot of uh, things to digest over the weekend, didn't we? Uh, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Lawrence Wong, of course, delivering that much-anticipated budget speech for the financial year 2024, and uh, we've had the time to digest the key takeaways. Takeaways. Uh, so support for key uh, for households, workers, businesses, arts and sports, charities, even a focus on clean energy. It's all in an effort to reshape and enhance our social compact. For this very special segment here on Asia First, we have live right now in the studio Miss Indrani Raja, Minister in the Prime Minister's Office, Second Minister for Finance, and also Second Minister for National Development. Welcome to the CNA Nine Three Studio, Minister Indrani. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. We're glad to have you with us. So let's start with uh, that first question that we had. And it's a question that, um, you know, many people were kind of thinking about when the budget was passed. There were voices preemptively calling budget 2024 an election budget. <laughs> what would you say to those views? I think the right way to look at budget 2024 is that it is a forward SG budget. If you look at the Forward SG report, it actually lays out the roadmap for our future going forward. Um, it sets out the parameters along which we want to refresh our social compact. And there are various parts to it, right? Uh, there's the economy, there's uh, the social aspect, there is sustainability in terms of, you know, um, uh, climate change, getting Singapore ready uh, for the energy transition. Um, so there, there are plenty of things in the Forward SG report. And if you look at the report and you look at the budget, you will see that the budget actually maps very closely to the key thrust. But obviously, you can't do all of it at once. You have to do it one step at a time. And budget 2024 is the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because uh, DPM calls this the first installment, really, of the Forward SG you know, themed uh, budgets to come. That's right. Uh, and, and he actually gave a snippet um, within his speech as well. He said $5 billion is going to go into the Forward SG initiatives in this budget. And we're going to see another $35 billion over the next, I think, up to the end of the, the decade. I think that indicates that there, there may have been some planning, right, that has gone into uh, uh, the years leading up to the end of the decade. What can people expect, really, from, from the budgets to come? Well... If you look at Forward SG and how it's laid out, there are different aspects to it. Um, one is, is very Im Im immediate. Immediate would be you have to deal with things like cost of living, inflation, so on. Uh, so immediate short-term things you, you have to take care of, and that's why you have the household packages. But on the other hand, um, it looks at how can we get our businesses uh, to, to, to grow because the economy must grow if the country does well or is, if the country is to do well. So if you look at this year's budget, you will see that there are lots of incentives and assistance for companies. Then on the question of jobs and workers, um, there's this a whole uh, set of measures for upskilling the, the $4,000, uh, for example, for Skills Future, uh, as well as the ability to do a further diploma. Um, that recognizes that Singaporeans would be working up to a certain age 
And the normal retirement will be around the, the 60s period, but we're living up to our 80s. Uh, and beyond, right? We've got quite a few, you know, people who've reached 100 and that's going to continue in the future. And you want them to keep active after they have retired from their first jobs. So this starts to lay the groundwork for what they can do going forward um, and having lifelong learning. And same thing with social mobility. So you can see that a lot of the plans cannot be done just in one year, two years or even five years. These are long-term plans. Mm. Um, wanted to pick up on that uh, massive, massive focus on mid-career workers to cultivate continuous learning, as you said, rightfully, uh, and, and basically shifting us to long-term, fulfilling and sustainable careers, uh, those major skills future top-ups, that $4,000 magic number there. Uh, on, top of the, on top of that, there's the training allowances as well, and these are mainly for those aged 40 and above, mid-career workers, uh, but these are for select Selected sectors, uh, and I remember DPM was uh, talking about how some of these sectors uh, only are going to be targeted uh, for these top-ups, for these mid-career workers. Which industries would such mid-career workers be encouraged to pursue? Well, um, b before I, I address that specifically, let me just give an idea of the philosophical underpinnings of, of these measures. It used to be, right, that when we were in school, when you came out, when you graduated from school or poly university, you've learned what you need to know. Yeah. And then you go into the workforce uh, and then you, you continue there, then you retire at a certain age and then you, you, know, you just do other things, right? Mm -hmm. But the world isn't like that anymore. Um, learning is continuous. So step number one is even after we leave school, we have to continue learning, either in the workplace or if you left a job uh, in some, some other way, uh, upskilling or whatever it is. That, that, that's the first thing. Second thing to remember is even after retirement from your first job, people have value. They have life experience. They have so much to offer. So these schemes set the foundation for that. Then coming back to your question, uh, what are the areas we would encourage people to go to? I think we're really looking to encourage people to move into the growth areas. Growth areas, obviously, sustainability, uh, digital jobs. Um, but so much of this is now, you can't pigeonhole it. I mean, if you would, when you say digital, digital actually... Uh, spans the entire range of work, right? Bank tellers used to just sit behind the counter and then disperse money. But if you're in banking now, a lot of it has to deal with digital banking as well. So I, I would say that uh, digitalization, sustainability, these are key growth areas. And then, of course, you have our, our usual uh, ones like you know electronics and, and manufacturing, uh, all, all of these things. Basically, anything where there's growth, we encourage people to pursue. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of the Level Up program covers diploma programs. Uh, tell us a bit more about the distinction between diplomas and degrees, for example. Um, you know, people who have gone to uh, poly and have already have a diploma may want to pursue a, a degree. Is that something that, that the government is looking at or for now just diplomas and why? Well, the focus is on diplomas because the, the degree or the university pathway is usually more academic in nature. But diplomas by their nature and their character are skills-based. And the assumption here is that you've, you've spent your, your working life doing something. 
Um, and it could have been on the back of a university degree. It could have been on the back of a diploma. But going forward, uh, as you look to the next chapter, uh, skills are going to become really important. Because don't forget, you've already got all the, the foundation that the degree and the first diploma gave you. What you're trying to do now is you're trying to add to that. Mm-hmm. So I, I could imagine, for example, somebody who, and, and we've seen a few examples of this, that let's say they've been in banking and finance uh, all of their lives, mm. but now they want to contribute in another way. Some may w- wish to go into social work. Uh, some may wish to go into the, the childcare industry. Um, some may want to become life coaches. You don't need another degree for that. But you may find diplomas with, you know, the, that, that touch on the topics that you're interested in helpful. So see it sort of as a, as a layering. It's, it's not that, you know, what, what you learned before doesn't matter anymore. You're, you're adding to that. Mm. How can we ensure then that people pursue programs that actually enhance their employability going further forward in that, in the, in that vein? I think what, you, what we have to do is to provide the information so that people can make informed choices. I mean, you, you, jobs, careers are, are very individual, right? Different people have different aptitudes. Different people like doing different things. And it could also be that if you've been in one industry sector your whole life, then when, when you reach 40 and, and above, you're like, okay, I'm, I've, I've done this already. I really want to try something else. So I don't think government should dictate to people what they should do. But what government can do is identify the growth areas. We've now made available the means by which you can pursue uh, further learning in these areas. And then we should put out as much information as possible so people can make the choices that you know feel best for them yeah so minister i want to change topics a little bit and if you cast your mind back to uh maybe the eve of chinese new year i believe uh pm went out he met um some people and he said that you know he encouraged people to really have babies this dragon year Mm. and i think on the back of that message a lot of people started getting stirred up like oh you know maybe we're gonna have some (laughs) some goodies for parents or would-be parents the dragon baby exactly exactly and and then and then budget came along and then oh okay no there were some announcements but you know the people who were expecting ang pao's obviously would be sorely disappointed um so so tell us a bit more about that uh apparent disconnect and, and perhaps whether or not you know, you head up the National Population and Talent Division, whether or not we could expect some some more announcements during the Committee of Supply Debates. Okay, so marriage and parenthood is not just about Ang Pao's as we have discovered, <laughs> yes. because, well, cost of raising a child is important, um, but we also hear from parents that um, having time to look after their children, having flexibility at work, these are important things. So don't forget that last year's budget, we had quite a lot of announcements on marriage and parenthood. We had the uh, enhanced baby bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, we also had the uh, enhanced uh, CDA, the Child Development Account. And importantly, we uh, extended a voluntary infant care leave and also voluntary paternity leave by two weeks. And in fact, the voluntary paternity leave the additional two weeks kicks in at the beginning of January this year. So we've had one slew of measures. In this budget, uh, DPM Wong announced that we would uh, be lowering the caps for childcare fees. Then that 
work that, that speaks to affordability to ensure that there are affordable childcare options. Um, he said that that would be done in two stages. Mm-hmm. And then he also said that we would do something for the, the lower income in terms of the, the, the fees. So you, you can see that it's, it's staged uh, in terms of step-by-step uh, the, the rollouts. So the, the short answer to your question is um, we're still working on it. If you look at Forward SG report, uh, we did say that there is much room to make Singapore more family-friendly. Um, and that would not just be the financial assistance and cost of living assistance that we've put in, but really looking to see how we can support parents in the workplace. Flexible work arrangements is a very important part of that. So I'll be touching on that in the upcoming Committee of Supply, but I think throughout the course of the year, we'll be be working on this as well. Mm. So as a primer to um, that Committee of Supply conversation that you'll be having on this, could we perhaps see it as a two-pronged approach? Yes, you're reducing costs, uh, especially for lower income families as well with multiple children perhaps or maybe they are considering having more children and at the same time making it attractive for us to want to have babies because um, yes as you said rightfully and I feel the same way as well that cost is a major factor in deciding whether or not to even have a child in the first place uh, in, in Singapore. Um, I guess also what I'm asking is have existing policies and in- incentives um, not made enough progress thus far? They have certainly helped. Mm. But I think what we need to realise is that globally, there is a phenomenon um, of declining marriages uh, and falling birth rate. So it's not just Singapore. um, It's many other developed countries, um, Japan, uh, South Korea, um, even in, in China, mm. the death rates have exceeded the birth rates. Uh, not too long ago, I think Malaysia also uh, uh, announced, you know, that their, their TFR was falling. Then in, in the West, same same thing. So it's a global phenomenon. It's the way young people are, are thinking and feeling about uh, marriage. So some may choose not to get married or some choose to get married but delay having children. And of course, delaying having children in some cases, does have implications for fertility. Mm. So we can't go out there and say, I order you to get married and I order <laughs> you to have children. It doesn't work like mm-hmm. that, right? But what we can do is try and create the conditions such that it makes it much easier uh, for those who want to get married and have children to mm. do so. Mm. So apart from the uh, measures which I mentioned just now, on the housing front, don't forget that our housing uh, schedule uh, was interrupted by COVID, but now we're catching up on that. Um, and in this budget, DPM mentioned the uh, the voucher for the PPHS, the, mm. prov- the Provisional Parenthood uh, Housing Scheme, because there are those who are waiting for their BTOs. So with this new voucher, then they will be able to um, uh, use it f- to rent HDB uh, uh, flats mm-hmm. whilst they're waiting for their BTOs. And then last year, we also talked about, we, we put in place giving priority to families with uh, young children. Um, so that they would be able to get their houses faster. And I think housing is an important part, right? Because many couples prefer to have their own homes uh, before they start to have children. Mm. So quite a a number of things. Um, The the cost raising child is important, but it's not the only thing. Parents do value uh, other things like time with their children as well. Mm. I I just want to quickly pick up on on, uh, the housing aspect that you mentioned. and Mm. You also mentioned the housing voucher that was introduced Mm. um, by DPM. Um, Could you share a bit more details on that? How 
uh, would it work in practice? And is there a concern that, you know, people who are renting out their homes will then sort of price that in to the cost that they're, that they're renting it out for? Um, I shouldn't forerun the MND uh, Committee of Supply, so more, will be, more details will be put in there. But I think that the, the number uh, that is uh, waiting for the BTOs um, is steadily sort of um, being tackled as time goes on because more and more of the BTOs are coming on stream. So this is really a transitional measure to help us get through this this bump where the, the housing supply got held up because of COVID. Um, so we, I think not too long ago, we said that we've caught up to about 60% of the uh, construction schedule and that's advancing day by day. So that's why this is really a temporary measure. Um, I wanted to ask now about um, the refundable investment credit that DPM Wong touched on uh, during the speech as well uh, as a way of attracting quality investments to Singapore, especially in new economic growth areas that you mentioned earlier. Uh, it's Singapore's way of avoiding a bidding war with other major economies like Japan um, that are pulling out the stops to attract FDIs. Mm. At the same time, we we will also be implementing things like the IIR, uh, the Income Inclusion Rule, the Domestic Top-Up Tax, or DTT. Uh, and this is meant to earn us tax revenues from MNEs with parent offices in Singapore. How can foreign investors reconcile this seeming left-to-right pocket mechanism? Because that's that seems to be what uh, the view is at the moment. Well, the essential scheme is really the minimum effective tax rate, right? which is to have the 15% uh, tax across the board. So all those who have signed up to BEPS and are being BEPS compliant will be putting that into effect or taking steps towards that that. Uh, uh, direction, which is what we are doing with the IRR and the DTT. Mm. Um, however, I think BEPS also recognizes that people have or countries uh, need to compete. The question is how to let them compete fairly um, and in a, a, a way that is that, that doesn't undermine other countries. I mean, that that was the whole impetus for BEPS to begin with, mm. and that was the idea why they wanted to to, to level the the tax rate, right? Mm -hmm. But they do recognize that there's competition. So um, under the BEPS regime, it does allow for investment credits, which. I mean, in nature and characters, it, it, it's a grant. Uh, but there are certain rules and conditions that you have to comply with. So for us, the investment credit that we have designed uh, will be BEPS compliant. Um, and it's basically intended to make us competitive whilst at the same time uh, following the BEPS rules. Mm. I mean, this, I want to just pull out um, um, the perspective a little bit and talk about the budget as a whole and the budget spending as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, I think DPM did warn... Um, of some medium-term fiscal tightness, and then there's also some uncertainty with regard to the uh, overall economic climate, geopolitical climate as well. Um, and with that against the backdrop, um, we're spending a lot of money um, this budget, I think $131.4 billion, which is more than last year's spending. I guess the question we're talking about is, in tandem with the generosity, some people have even called it a, a buffet budget, <laughs> uh, in tandem with that, how can we ensure that spending remains sustainable? Well, 
you could look at it as a buffet budget, but it's a healthy buffet. <laughs> it's, uh, it's lots bit, of salad. Uh, yes, yeah, that's right. Lots of antioxidants. Yeah. Uh, you know, things that give you strength and energy. And that's exactly what it's like for the, um, the, the, the corporate incentives. The idea is if you want to have a strong economy, if you want to have a growing economy, you need to have strong businesses. And you, in order to have strong businesses, you have to support them. Mm. And that's why we've introduced the, the measures that we have, um, including the, the tax rebates, uh, as well as the working capital loan. It's, it's really intended to help our companies get off the ground, uh, come out of the, the post-pandemic, uh, you, you know, the, 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 the drag on the thrust, if, if, if you like, um, and basically uh, help boost our businesses. Mm. And that's really important because if you don't have uh, strong companies, you're not going to get the corporate tax revenue. You don't get the buzz. You don't get the ecosystem. Um, it's really, really important. Mm. Uh, hopefully lots of protein in that buffet for them. Then. <laughs> yes. that's, that's really what they need to sustain strength and growth, right? Uh, Minister Indrani, we really appreciate you being with us in the studio uh, this morning, taking the time to walk us through the announcements in Budget 2024. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That's Miss Indrani Raja. She's Minister in the Prime Minister's Office and also Second Minister for Finance and Second Minister for National Development.